Welcome to episode 47 of Millennials in Ministry. I'm your host, Aaron B. Lashley, and today I'm super excited to have my good friend, Lauren Beefy, on the show. Welcome, hey. Lauren. How are you doing today? Doing really well. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm really excited to have you. Um, for those of you who don't know, and Lauren, of course, I'll give you some time to talk a bit about yourself, but a few really cool things about Lauren. Born and raised in New Mexico. She is um, in her second year of graduate school at ASU, and she's studying communication studies with a focus on political advocacy, which has led to numerous of interesting conversations that we've had in small groups and at church and different things. So that's why I'm really excited about this episode. But Lauren, I want to give the floor to you just to to open up and talk about your background, uh, how you grew up and stuff like that. Sure. Well, yeah. So I grew up in the beautiful state of New Mexico, born and raised. Um, I never was really into politics or anything like that. Um, and I kind of stumbled across this topic through my own, my own ignorance, really. really? Um, yeah, I was, I was um, going to school at the University of New Mexico and I decided to uh, join the College of Communication Studies. And they had asked me to pick almost like a minor or a focus of communication. Okay. And one of the focuses was political science. And I thought, oh, how cool that would be. I want to go into that. And so I took my first real um, American studies class. And yeah. we learned about government. And, and I thought, wow. This, there's so much information that I did not know. Yeah. And this institution that, that is the U.S. is supposed to be working for the people. And I have no idea how to even run it as an individual because I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So going through that process and just kind of fate leading me down these different directions, I started to learn more about government and started to fall in love with law and policy and it just kind of spiraled out of control, and here we are talking about policy <laughs> and politics. And um, yeah, so yeah. I really have to credit um, my experience at the University of New Mexico. And in uh, New Mexico is a minority majority state, and so there's mm. so much beautiful diversity and culture that I was really privileged to get to experience while going through this process of identifying what it is that I love, which turned out to be yeah. politics. Yeah, so. that's super cool. And, you know, in your classes, of course, you guys have books and things that you'll read and study. And two books in particular that have sparked a lot of conversations we've had together, mm -hmm. um, one being Artificial Unintelligence, How Computers Misunderstand the World. Forgive me if I butcher her name or correct me by Meredith Broussard. Is that how you pronounce that? Broussard. Broussard. Okay. And then Automating Inequality, How High-Tech Tools Profile, Police, and Punish the Poor by Virginia Eubanks. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what are some of the most eye-opening concepts that you've gained from these books? Yeah. Um, well, the first one that you had mentioned, I actually have, I have them here. But... Hey. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> Artificial unintelligence. What's really great about this book is it gives us a perspective about technology. So one thing that I've noticed in conversation with most people, and even in myself, is we think the Internet and computers and different tech stuff, they can't be wrong, right? Because yeah. it's a computer. There's no bias in a computer. There's no – and what this book 
shows us and tells us is that human bias is in these programs. You know, when we think of algorithms, and it's kind of a big, scary word, but basically it's a human asking a computer to pinpoint different details that they're looking for to create basically like this recipe. And the bias of the person who or people who are creating these algorithms is very apparent in the algorithms themselves. So mm-hmm. it's not a computer creating these these things, um, yet we, we tend to think right. it is. We default mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. And so what's really great about artificial unintelligence is that the author exposes us to that, right? Mm-hmm. So if we create algorithms with data that was collected by people, mm-hmm. we have data that is biased. Well, when you put biased data through the recipe or algorithm that is also biased, your result is biased. And that's not to say that it's necessarily bad or good. Um, Each individual has their own inherent biases, right? But we fail to acknowledge them and give them the credit that they, that they need to have because these outputs create social impacts. And so if we think the computer is perfect, it's, it's a computer, it can't be flawed. We're doing an injustice to to the outputs that these algorithms are giving us and not acknowledging our own human biases, which is really problematic. Right. Right. Talk a little bit, too, about what you're telling me about Facebook um, and being associated with certain people that might be tagged or flagged as something in particular. Mm -hmm. So with different um, programs. So, for example, Facebook. When you upload a photo, right, it asks you if you want to tag people. And for some reason, it already kind of knows who's in the photo, right? Right. Well, there's this system, and algorithms play a huge role in all of this, where it is like facial recognition, right? So it acknowledges that, oh, you know, Lauren's in a photo. I could see she has very big cheeks, very big eyes, right? (laughs) That would be Lauren. (laughs) And so there's this facial recognition that's going on through these different programs for, for example, Facebook. And um, what's, what's happening is we're getting Mm -hmm. markers and, and flags of different risk assessment, Mm -hmm. much like if you were to think of insurance. Um, And what the problem is, is say you committed a crime, Aaron, and you and I are in a photo together, your risk assessment impacts me Mm. because I am now affiliated with a criminal or somebody with a background. Mm. And that can be problematic if, say, we were in a giant group and we had never met. I don't know who you are. You're a friend of a friend of a friend, but we're in a photo together. Now, my standing and my ranking is altered because of who is tagged in the photo or who's recognized in the photo. Yeah. That is something that we don't necessarily think of. Right. So when you take a group photo, I don't know that person who, who really cares. I don't know them, but, but the computers don't know that the facial recognition doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's that element to it, which is pretty interesting. And just the fact that they're able to recognize faces. I mean, yeah. we we think about, oh, how convenient it is that I can easily tag my friends, but mm-hmm. we 
totally skip the fact that they were able to identify your face just based off of very simple uh, facial expressions or details. Right. And even to think about that whole, this, you know, phase right now with the face app where it's making you old or young, mm. nobody's thinking about, there's a, that's going to be, that information is going to be sold for some artificial intelligence project because it's fun. But I think this is interesting about culture that we don't really think about is that government or, or organized like groups of people know how to get their the job done. They have to infuse and inject a project into something popular that's happening in culture. So if celebrities and then it kind of trickles down to us normal people start using this face app for fun, you know, it's easy to get a face and a name, you know, of millions of people in a simple matter of days, really, just like that to then be used for other projects, whether they're good or bad is up to the organization. But just like that's the world we live in, but we don't really think about that. We're as users, we're just thinking about what's cool, what's in, you know, what's in, what can I be a part of? Like how can I get jump on this wave of popularity, stuff like that, you know, isn't that crazy? Well and it's I'm so happy that you brought up the face app because I feel like it's been a huge um app that's been talked about. But I, w I was talking with some of my colleagues about it, and we were kind of like, oh, well, you know, my photo's already out there to the world. Why does it matter? Yeah. And I, I had this conversation with them where I was like, well, let's stop for a second. And let's just say that the app wasn't linked to Russia or wasn't international or anything like that. It was just the app. When you think about the type of photo it asks you to take, right? Mm. So to have the best quality change of your hair, your age, wow. your eyes, all of this, you have to take a standard photo, preferably with a blank background um, at eye level and yeah. probably a serious face or a, or a slight smile so that the computer can read your facial uh, details. Mm. Well, what, what other photos are like that? Mm. Passport, photo ID. Wow. So, we have now, as as users of this app, have given this private company a very <laughs> standard photo of ourselves yeah. that can be used to duplicate and identify identification, passport yeah. IDs, um, business IDs. I mean, all, all this stuff because it's a standard mm. photo, and that alone. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about with the face yeah. app. But that alone is nerve-wracking because mm -hmm. overnight this app just was a sensation to mm -hmm. make you look older right yeah but what what did you give and in this type of exchange is called a gift and gift exchange and you see mm -hmm. it with like programs like 23andme let me mm -hmm. give you something for something in return and a yeah. lot of times what we get in return for what we give is not equivalent you, know, mm -hmm. you look at 23andme um, I'm giving this program my DNA, which mm. is only unique to me. No one else has that DNA. And I'm giving it to you to give me a biased sample result <laughs> of my ancestry. Wow. Which didn't really tell me anything I didn't already know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now this program has my unique DNA. We pair that with. Sorry. When we pair that with with your fingerprints and your photo mm -hmm. and now your voice recording, right? 
that's a problem. We have a right. problem. And yeah. it becomes an even bigger problem when we start policing and we start mm. creating insurance. Um, mm. And it, it almost turns into this predictive policing, predictive insurance, predictive yeah. social um, uh, services. And yeah. now we're not now we're not looking at law as you're innocent until proven guilty. It's more so I'm going to prevent you from doing these things because I know you're guilty mm. or you will be guilty. Wow. It, and so it right. is a problem. And I think that it is such a scary issue and such a big issue. Um, and, and private companies are so good at marketing. You know, mm. who doesn't want to know what they look like? 40 years 50 years from now i do <laughs> right and right and we see that and then but what did they gain and, yeah. and and the implications of a company that does it for money it's mm. a motive if money is involved you should very yeah uh, you should enter in very carefully yeah there was a, something else very fascinating that we've talked about before that you just don't think about and this is something i've been thinking about more um, having had several conversations with you and then just watching different YouTube videos, like you sent me that Elon Musk interview about, you know, the warnings of artificial intelligence and where the world is going. Because the world, including myself, our biggest concern is sur surviving, paying bills, making sure we have enough food to eat, clothing on our backs. And once that is achieved, the next thing we think about is having more than the average person. And I'm saying as a general thing. But what I notice, the more that I'm researching and having these types of conversations, is that there is a different group of people that are thinking at a much higher level than we are. And we're almost living in a world where we're reacting to people who are setting up systems for us to respond to in order for their priorities to develop or their programs and so on and so forth. So one thing we talked about previously, Lauren, is Amazon, for example, you know, as you buy certain things on Amazon, they're marking and flagging that this type of person who is this age, this race, this gender lives in this area, typically based upon what data is showing us, will buy this, this, and this, and this. And then typically we'll also purchase this, 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 and this. And typically, oh, they also committed this crime or they're involved in this. So typically if you buy this, you're usually associated with that. And that's kind of what you're talking about because these companies will then sell that data to the government. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on that because you're the one that sparked that thought process for me. And it's really fascinating. I want you to just give your thoughts on that real quick. Well, I always, I like to preference um, this concept with people, that there is a fine line between convenience and privacy. Hmm. It is extremely convenient to shop on Amazon because everything's there. I have my cart. They remember my payment information. It's easy. Hmm. But then we have to look at, what at what scale am I giving away parts of my privacy mm. for this convenience, right? So even more basic than Amazon, let's look at a credit card. So when credit cards came out, they were this huge rage because you didn't need to carry a wad of cash around with you anymore. You didn't need to have the coins and all this. You had a card, and it's convenient. Yeah. Um, and great, and everyone 
uses it and it's very popular and it's almost now if you pay with cash people are like okay weirdo right and if you know you pull out a checkbook and it's like okay dinosaur get out of the way <laughs> so you know we have this credit card and what happens is it's a tech technological advancement right mm -hmm. and it's starting to track your spending habits mm -hmm. so now the banks, the government, they know what you're buying, when you're buying it, possibly why. Mm -hmm. And now you have you leave a paper trail of everything mm -hmm. that you purchase. Well, okay, who cares? Well, if you were to look at my paper trail, you would see that probably every morning at nine o'clock I go through Starbucks. <laughs> right? Right. And, okay, who cares? Who would want to know that? Well, now you, different companies can use that information to market to me. Hey, mm -hmm. Lauren, stop by Starbucks at two o'clock because we have this new dream. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, don't mind if I do. Right. <laughs> right. right. Same idea for, for companies like Target, Walmart, and Amazon. Mm -hmm. And these are mm -hmm. all private companies that are marketing using basic marketing tools yeah. to wrap us in. So when I'm looking for um, a new coffee table, which I am doing right now, um, and I type in coffee tables into Amazon, I get a laundry list of different coffee tables. And, oh, mm -hmm. do you need a chair, too? Do you need a TV stand? Because it looks like you're trying to um, gain furniture for your living room, right? Right. And what right. other information is that giving them? Did you mm -hmm. recently move? Right. Are you upgrading? Do yeah. you have um, an uh, extra money to spend? Do right. you get a new job? These are all elements that we don't think about just looking for a new coffee table right. or, or ordering a Starbucks drink at nine o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's what's so important about the, this study is mm -hmm. really narrowing in the ripple effect. Just because I took a photo to see what I look like at the age of 80. So what? Well, think about, the implications of all of that. And when mm -hmm. we go shopping at Amazon, a large company that's linked to so many others, you know, the same products that I can purchase on Walmart's website, I can get on Amazon. So they're linked. Mm -hmm. Why? What are they doing with that information? Mm -hmm. And um, when you have, have companies that are so big, like Google and Amazon and Apple, what is the motive? Mm -hmm. what, what's going on here? And I think yeah. that we don't question that enough. We just, we're yeah. so infatuated with the convenience that we are slowly allowing that line between convenience and privacy to slip mm -hmm. from us. Yeah. And total convenience equals no privacy. Yeah. And we have yeah. to, as, as citizens, we have to ask ourselves, is that something that we want? Right, right. You know, Gary Vee talks a lot about that. He, he talks about people really don't care about privacy as much as they argue to. They really care about convenience, like what you're talking about. And it's proof of the fact that we're so willing to give away personal information in, in exchange for convenience, in exchange for saving time. Um, but I want to ask you too, Lauren, like with all of the different things that you're learning about this as you're studying and reading and all of this, you know, what, um, how has this impacted the way you live from day to day? Mm -hmm. um, a few things. It makes me think about my purchases. It makes me think about the apps that I download. It makes me think about the third party systems that I use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so for example, I have the Starbucks app, right? And I can 
reload my Starbucks card from the app and I don't have to go through my bank. So I think about like what, what implications does that have for me giving mm-hmm. a third party access to my bank account? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really just looking at things a little more critical. And when I think about the tech side of it, which is a huge part, I also have to remember my educational roots, which is communication studies yeah. and remembering that there is this mask that convenience creates where we lose the communication element of it and it almost causes us to to dehumanize others through technology Mm -hmm. right and so it really causes me to stop and think about the significance of it why is it important why am i doing this Mm -hmm. um and really making me step back and think, is this a necessity or is this yeah. a convenience and a luxury? Um, and am I, am I really paying attention to my privacy and what makes me unique? Yeah. Um, and holding on to that because I, I am a firm believer that convenience is great, but privacy is also very important. Mm. And it's not that I have anything to hide, but I don't think that my inf- information needs to be out for everyone to access 24-7. Sure. Um, and I do think that we as people forget that government is working for us. And we are not necessarily subject to their rule, right? The, mm-hmm. the absolute basis of government is to work for the people. Mm-hmm. And I think we're losing that sense of mm-hmm. connection with our government. And mm-hmm. I think it's very toxic. And so, yeah. Um, it, it causes me to sit back and listen and watch a lot more, yeah. which I think is really important, especially mm. nowadays when a lot of people speak more than they listen. Mm. Um, yeah, it causes me to just think yeah. a little bit more. It's so interesting, Lauren, because, you know, having this conversation, because I think it's so enlightening, number one. Number two, to be honest, I can't say – I understand it's important, and I, but I, knowing myself, I can't say that I'm going to like stop using Amazon or stop using the face app. And I know that that's not what we're trying to do with this conversation. Right. It's more just bringing awareness to it and to stop and think about like what's most important to you. Um, but I think it's so interesting that you have such a heart for this topic and for people and even for um, government and politics and all of that, that to some degree, you know, you see yourself getting into that world in the future. Do you want to talk about that or just like your heart to possibly help in a governmental role one day and why that's, you know, become a part of you? Yeah, such a good question because I never in a million years thought this would be it. You know, I never thought that this was something that I would enjoy. And I think it's because I notice, um, the the lack of knowledge that surrounds a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. and it's so scary and it's overwhelming and Mm -hmm. not everyone's favorite topic to talk about but it's so important because if you look at technology it has just advanced rapidly like even in the course of my lifetime and I'm 25 years old um you know, 25 years ago, I I doubt anyone thought that we'd be having a conversation like this on a smartphone right. of talking about face apps that make you look older, right? I right. mean, it just is, what? Yeah. So the fact that within 25 years we're having this conversation, yet 
policy is so far behind. You know, I, I had sent you that that uh, interview with uh, where they're talking about um, artificial intelligence with Elon mm-hmm. Musk. Yeah. And he's like, we have got to slow down. We have yeah. got to slow down and acknowledge that law and policy are lagging behind something that is just taking off. And, and one of the commonalities between all, among all the books that I'm reading and all the interviews and those who really study this stuff, every mm-hmm. single person says we have got to slow down. Wow. And I think, again, going back to where I started, I my eyes were open through my own ignorance somebody calling that out saying hey you don't know this this is really important and so for me I think the drive and and the desire to be a part of this is for people like me I'm not anything extraordinary you know I'm not like this tech savvy person that I'm a I'm a communication scholar who understands communication the importance of it and 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 how impactful it can be right now I want to bring that into a, a, a field of study that is just skyrocketed. And yet, yeah. you know, we have these tech advances and it and it's so great. And if you're in technology, you're like a genius and brilliant. Yet we're we're excluding different racial groups. We're excluding mm-hmm. genders. We're excluding socioeconomic statuses and, mm-hmm. and we're we're not acknowledging our biases. And I think that um one of the things that has motivated me is I realized that you don't have to be the person creating the algorithms to have input into the significance of them. Mm-hmm. And as a communication scholar, it's extremely important to bring awareness to these biases that are impacting everyone, mm-hmm. everyone. You're such a great communicator, Lauren. I, I love talking with you and I'm cheering you on and your heart, you know, for government and policies and impacting policies. Um, because, you know, number one, I know how great of a person you are. I know your heart. Thank number two, you know, you love Jesus mm-hmm. and you love people and you're genuine in what you're trying to do. Um, another question I want to ask you is if we are black or brown people, what can we do to beat those systems that are being set up for us? Um, in your opinion, like as you study this and as you're seeing the implications of it in certain sects of people, um, what can we do as we're experiencing life from day to day? Yeah, what a what a great man, what a great question because it, it's so complex, and I don't know if we're at a point yet where we could necessarily answer that. Mm. And my solution would be, in my humble opinion that it's not a system that we should want to beat. And, and this, is, this is for everyone, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a uh, – we don't need to be beating algorithms or trying to, to um, beat the system necessarily, mm-hmm. but, but really just bringing in our communities into them, right? So, mm-hmm. so these things can work beautifully if we include more diverse – population, data sets. And so really it would be my suggestion is for all communities to start requiring that these private companies, that these tech companies are more inclusive. Mm. Start start doing more research and facial recognitions on a variety of faces and cultures and races and genders. And, and let's start including more rather than yeah. trying to separate um, because, you know, one thing that I've shared with you is, is 
I don't think that it's healthy for us to push away at things. You know, I don't mm. think we need to to push away algorithms and push away tech companies and push away this stuff because the further we push it away, the further it is from us. Mm-hmm. And so we lack that diversity. But if we bring it in and we start, you know, different communities start coming together and, and challenging these companies to be more inclusive yeah. and providing, you know, more resources to do that, um, I, I, I definitely think that it would become more diverse and more beautiful and we will start to see more facial recognition mm-hmm. being able to pick up on different races different genders yeah. um and and the same goes for all different types of biometric um information so i i would encourage people if they they feel a calling to um to this subject to to look and see what different groups you identify with what they're doing in this in this area and mm-hmm. then challenge yourself to be a part of it mm-hmm. and and um, really do a lot of research and, and see where you can bring in your unique diversity into this area because I think it's really important. Now, one thing I um, also want to talk about, too, is like what, in your opinion, what are some keys to effective communication around this topic? The reason why I'm asking you this specifically is because I've witnessed <laughs> how beautiful conversation can be when you are a part of it and you have this very unique way of being very inclusive with different cultures and different races at the same time without feeling without giving off the feeling of um, being a threat or not understanding Um, you're very understanding and you create an environment where people feel welcome to participate in a conversation that otherwise may have not been there. So from your perspective, what are keys to having really great conversations and communicating effectively around this topic? It's taken me a while to get here. I think that communication studies has definitely challenged me. Mm -hmm. One book that I was going to share with you um, is this, the communication of hate Mm -hmm. um, by Waltman and Haas. And it's, a beautiful book because it causes you to to really think about our own biases and why we use the communication of hate. Mm. Um, and so one thing that I practice and one thing that I do encourage other people to practice is um, when you think of what you're passionate about, and that could be a million things, um, think about the person or people or organization or group that would be opposing you. So a lot of times this has to do with politics um kind of an easy one right we can all imagine who the other person is right and I always encourage people to to in your mind imagine that person and you're sitting at a table with them and and a lot of this comes from my faith but I challenge you maybe daily weekly monthly if you will Mm -hmm. find one quality about that person or people organization that you can identify with Mm. because what we do a lot of times when we discuss very heavy topics is we start to dehumanize the other Mm. and it makes it so easy for me to hate you if you're not human to me Mm. and first and foremost what I always share with people is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ whether you're a believer or non-believer, that is how I see you. And I do an injustice to my belief if I can't humanize you. 
if all mm-hmm. I do is dehumanize, dehumanize, I, I can't connect with you because yeah. your problems are your problems. Mm-hmm. And so I always challenge, and, and this is something I practice daily, and it, it is very difficult, but I challenge you to to think about the hurt and the hate that you may have for other people, other groups, um, and try to humanize them. Because mm-hmm. what, again, going back to my bringing things closer, I think it's really important that the closer you bring things to you, the better able you are to to understand where this thought process came from, why you have these opinions, um, what, what in your life happened to you that has created you into this person. And if I can identify myself in your traits, it's easier for me to be empathetic. It's easier for me to understand your point of view and hopefully yeah. create a solution. And I think one misconception about communication is that um, people think, I need to tell you about me and you need to listen. Mm-hmm. And communication is more of a flow. I need to understand who I'm communicating to, mm-hmm. my message and why. And then I need to understand that the way I say it has to also be a way that you can receive it. Mm-hmm. The only way I know that you're going to receive my message is if I know how Aaron receives, right? right. So, so I think good. it's really important that we bring people closer so that we can understand. And it's not always necessarily getting everything you want, yeah. but being able to find commonality really helps us to have the, the discourse that's important. And especially for these huge heated issues. Um, it's really sad. Nowadays we see that it's just so divided, right? Everyone's like, I can't even talk to you if you identify as anything other than what I think is correct. Yeah. I just think that's we're doing ourselves an injustice um, as an entire nation. By doing that, I think we need to really find the commonality and humanize each other. Because at the end of the day, we're all we're all humans, yeah. and we're just trying to live good, happy lives. And um, so, so that's something I practice, and I think it really helps me listen more because I'm trying mm-hmm. to understand who you are, who they are, what what it is that that is important to you. Why do you have these beliefs? Um, because as I've shared with you multiple times. I've been judged. Um, uh, my character has been judged. My my personality has been judged. Mm-hmm. Um, my appearance has been judged, and mm-hmm. a lot of the judgments that have been made are false or incorrect. And it's just because the per- person or people don't know right. my background. Right. And um, experiencing that has definitely given me empathy, and uh, for those for other people, I don't yeah. know you until I get to know you. Right. So that that's one thing um, I like to encourage. And it's hard. It is very hard. And there are issues where I understand that it, it's hard for people mm-hmm. um, to, to practice that. And that's why I yeah. encourage in your head getting getting yourself to a place where you could imagine sitting across from from somebody that you just could never imagine actually sitting across from and trying yeah. to humanize them. Because I think it's that powerful. is extremely, extremely powerful. I think it's powerful and so necessary because you're exactly right. When we dehumanize a certain people group, we don't want to hear what they have to say. We don't care if they die. We don't care if they're broken or if, you know, some if they're murdered or if they're put in cages or, you know, if they're falsely accused because we don't see them as us, you know. And I think that's why the Bible is so 
specific and intentional with love God first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love other people the way you love yourself. You know what I mean? Because I have to see you like I see me in order for me to effectively love you and communicate with you. But I think there's that wall that gets built up when we're unwilling to see people as humans and see them the way that God sees them. And that's when conversations become difficult to have or they don't happen at all, you know? And it's so important, especially in today's culture and climate right now, where the racial climate is very high, you know, where judgment is very high, where the immigrant issue is very high. And well, I think it was the left where I think it was the right that did it. Well, you know, it, it like issues that are human issues are becoming political issues because we can't see each other as ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and you know, what's so crazy is that sometimes the enemy that the enemy that's sitting yeah. across the table is you. Sometimes we need to sit across from ourselves and say, where are we not connecting? Why am I so hurt by this? Why am I feeling these emotions? Why do I disregard people or problems in this way? And I I think you, you said it great is how can I love someone else if I'm unable to love myself? So sometimes that person sitting across the table is you. Yeah. And you, you have boundaries that you need to get over. And um, one of one of my communication courses that I that I've taken in the past challenged us um, because oftentimes we get this ego mindset where it's like, I don't have problems. I'm right. Like everyone else. Like, come on, people get it yeah. together. If you listen to my solutions, everything would be fine. Right. But mm-hmm. that's not true. And yeah. we forget that we have our own inherent biases. Mm-hmm. And they come from our experience. They come from um, from all our different perspectives, from family members to school to the news. So yeah. sometimes that person you have to sit across the table from is yourself and acknowledge right. that, hey, right. why am I feeling this way? And and it's not to say that your emotions and, and your opinion are invalid mm-hmm. because I, I think that a lot of people have opposing opinions and opposing values that yeah. are valid. Um, but if we don't create the space to talk about it, we, we do it in injustice uh, mm-hmm. for both sides. hundred percent. Lauren, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so good. And yeah. um, I know that in the future, you know, you're going to be having your own podcast too. And yes. so I'm excited about that. And if people just want to follow you and stay connected with you throughout your studies or just, communicate with you in some form or fashion, what's the best way for them to do that? I think Instagram, the IG, I think that would be a great one. Um, I am starting a podcast here in the fall and I'll be announcing all of that once it gets started. But yeah, I think Instagram would be the best. And um, I'm, I love these conversations. I am not the end all be all. I don't know and don't have all the answers, but I love to talk about it and I love to listen. So I do welcome anyone um, if they have, questions or want some book recommendations I have thousands I'm just covered in them right now waiting for somebody to ask me for a book recommendation so yeah um yeah Instagram and um yeah Cool. Well, Lauren, thank you again so much. And guys, thank you for watching and jumping on live. And thanks for the hearts. I saw some hearts here. And I just appreciate you guys just being a part of the conversation. It really does mean a lot. Give Lauren a follow, a like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. And we so appreciate you taking the time to listen.
All right. Talk to you later. Bye, Erin.